Hello, and welcome back to the Sustainable Sleepover Club podcast. We have another amazing guest and a new topic. The goal we chose for this episode was peace, justice, and strong institutions. Goal 16, conflict, insecurity, weak institutions, and limited access to justice remain a threat to sustainable development. The number of people fleeing war, persecution and conflict exceeded 70 million in 2018, the highest level recorded by the UN Refugee Agency in almost 70 years. In 2019, the United Nations tracked 357 killings and 30 enforced disappearances of human rights defenders, journalists and trade unionists in 47 countries and the birth of around one in four children under age five worldwide are never officially recorded, depriving them of a proof of legal identity crucial for the protection of their rights and for access to justice and social services. In this episode, we spoke to Andy about the meaning of peace, the conflict in Palestine and Kosovo, the legacy of Northern Ireland violence, and the importance of empathy in peacekeeping, including what you can do to help fight goal 16. Andy Hamilton is a volunteer from Northern Ireland with YMCA which is an all-Ireland organisation. He's currently a PhD student focusing on peace. Andy is the chairperson of YMCA Ireland Global Justice and International Development Advisory Committee. He has been involved in a YMCA Europe peace initiative called ROOT which has involved international partnerships with YMCA Kosovo and others. Hi Andy, how are you? Hi Amy, I'm great, thanks, and uh, really excited to be part of the podcast. Great, we're delighted to have you as well. Um, so I suppose the first thing I was wondering if you could tell us, what is peace? Or in your eyes, what is peace? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that's a question that I've been kind of starting my PhD studies, thinking about what is peace uh, and then what is peace building. Uh, and the starting point for me is a distinction made by a, a sociologist and peace scholar called uh, Johan Geltung, who makes this distinction between a negative and a positive peace. Negative peace being removing kind of overt violence, um, having a, a situation where there isn't open violence. Um, but that's been criticised as being a, a kind of narrow version and a pretty low bar in terms of what we should be aiming for when we talk about peace. And so a positive peace um, deals with questions of poverty, questions of inclusion, questions of um, whose voices are heard, um, who has access to different um, institutions in society, who's left out of decision-making, all those kind of structural issues around um, what it means to be part of a society and take part in a society and fairness and equality and these notions of reconciliation then come into that. Human rights comes into that, notions of justice, notions of citizenship. Um, and I guess... Uh, Sometimes peace can be thought of as a, a neutral thing, but actually what I've discovered is it's an intensely political affair. Um, and it's not just political in terms of political parties, but political in terms of the process of defining what concepts mean, um, what ideas are more important than others, what courses of action are more important than others. 
uh, to comply or to resist. All these kind of range of ideas that where we're having to make decisions and come to agreements in society. Peace is at the heart of all those conversations. That that's really really interesting, and I think um like what you were saying about positive peace. It's like it's not only just peace is part of goal 16, which is a sustainable development goal, but, you know, it can be part of all the other goals as well. Um, And I really, really liked that connection. Um, So I was wondering if you could like describe the conflict in Kosovo and what the Roots Peace Initiative did to help. Yeah, I guess like any conflict, there's a large history to it. And we could go back to the first century AD to start to discuss the roots of conflict in the Balkans and specifically in Kosovo. But um, I guess we could start in 1912, where Serbia takes control of Kosovo from the Turks. um, And it becomes part of the Yugoslavian um, Federation. Uh, and so Kosovo has uh, consistently existed as a, an autonomous uh, province within Serbia. Uh, and Kosovans, the majority Albanian ethnicity within Kosovo, want, wanted independence. And that independence when they came in 2008 was only internationally recognised in 2008. And still, uh, some states don't recognise Kosovo as an independent uh, state. Um, so uh, really the height of the conflict in Kosovo was in 1998-1999 um, where Serbs were affecting uh, Albanian Kosovans from their uh, homes uh, and there was uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees um, had to leave their houses and the international community responded and there was uh, a kind of airstrike campaign against uh targets in Serbia and meanwhile Serbs were kind of intensifying the the conflict on the ground by kind of brutal means uh, and violence against uh, Kosovans. So that's kind of a very uh, short snapshot into some of the historical factors in Kosovo. Um, The roots for reconciliation when I say Europe project um, Kosovo had been part of that and for them I guess it'd be interesting to hear from them directly and maybe actually in the future you might find that Darina the CEO of YMCA Kosovo might be a good person to have on your podcast but um, some of the benefits I see from that is kind of building capacity building young leaders who have a vision for peace and who are growing up in a setting where the the conflict was very recent to have family members and friends who were victims of that conflict and they themselves continue to be the victims of the conflict through and the trauma and the grief that continues to exist and the tensions that continue to exist between Albanians and Serbians uh, within Kosovo Uh, and so the Roots for Reconciliation project brings different conflict uh, settings together, YMCA's representing different conflict settings uh, to share and learn from each other uh, and to build capacity, build leaders uh, and build a sense of solidarity as well and uh, get a sense of what it's like to be a, a young person growing up in these um, areas where, where conflict is such a massive part of, of life experience. 
Yeah, thank you so much for that. And with um, like discussing conflict at the moment, you know, what, you know, again, it's very complicated and you could go back so far, but what is happening in Palestine and why is it in the news now? Yeah, that's uh, that's actually one that um, I've been doing a little bit more research on and you've prompted me to do that, um, which has been really helpful for myself. It's in the news at the minute, as you say, um, there's a lot of history to the Palestine-Israeli conflict. And actually a lot of Palestinians uh, and also others who are uh, supporters and find a, a sense of solidarity with Palestine would say that even calling it a conflict is actually unhelpful um, because they see it as their land was colonized and their struggle is a struggle of resistance against the um, Israeli colonizers. Obviously that's a very contentious statement to make depending on the perspective that you have. Um, but there's been a kind of ongoing tensions in that the Middle Eastern region and particularly in Palestine and around Jerusalem for who has um, the right to claim control of that area. Uh, so as um, Israel kind of became recognised as a state um, kind of in the aftermath of the Second World War, a lot of Jews moved into uh, the area that was historically Palestinian and um, Arab and started to take land. And the UK were involved in that, the US were involved with that, they were funding that, um, parliaments were supporting these initiatives to move Jews to um, to take land, to buy up land and to settle on the land of Palestine. Uh, and so over the years, that there's been this intense uh, conflict over who has the right to the land and um, Palestinians being um, suppressed and oppressed. Um, so the Israeli state has, there's been many examples of, of oppression against uh, the Palestinian um, community. Uh, recently then there's been more um, kind of uh, endeavours by the Israeli government to um, kind of marginalise Palestinians and uh, evict Palestinians from their homes. And so in response to that, um, Palestinian forces were... Um, kind of warning Israel that they would retaliate to defend themselves um, and so then they, there was the um, rockets launched against Israel and in response then Israel then um, sent airstrike, airstrikes back into areas that were majority Palest Palestinian so uh, there's been a lot of um, injuries, a lot of uh, life lost there uh, and I think as we're talking about these conflict areas, you know, depending on the perspective, you can kind of see that some people um, are really oppressed by others, but there's casualties and there's victims on, on every side. Uh, and I think that's really important that we recognise that at the minute as you're seeing images coming out from Israel and Palestine and the, the horrendous loss of life. Um, but particularly the tension is... You know, the international community, if we link back to Kosovo, the international community came out very much in support of Kosovo. 
um, in Israel-Palestine tensions, international community tends to support Israel. Um, and that that is another area of contention here. Um, that That is kind of always at the forefront of the conversation around Palestine-Israel. Mm, and I was wondering then, and this goes back to what you were saying about, you know, positive peace. Why is, say, a ceasefire not counted as peace or maybe it is in some people's views but you know um yeah in a is a ceasefire peace is the question yeah that's a good question anyway um it goes back again to thinking about well, what is peace and we can make a distinction between peacekeeping peacemaking peace building and so a ceasefire is that kind of um peacemaking uh prerogative you know and there needs to be this absence of violence there needs to be an agreement that we're going to cease um attacking one another and um, by violent means um before we can even think about well how do we move forward and what's the next steps so ceasefire i think absolutely has to be recognized as a positive uh, element but it's a stepping stone um and it's kind of a, a holding pattern in a sense. It doesn't actually address the root causes, the root underlying tensions. And if those things are never addressed, then um, the violence is going to continue to reoccur and reoccur. And we've seen that time and again around the globe. Um, so it isn't, it isn't peace, but it's a, a step to peace and an important step. And, you know, what can people in other countries countries like ireland do in terms of conflict abroad you know what how can they support or help yeah for me the first thing that we can do is to educate ourselves and to um find out about these conflict situations and do a bit of research into the dynamics behind them because it's all too easy to make statements and make uh, assertions and take sides without having a full um, analysis of what's going on and you can do that in lots of ways um, like uh, I'll maybe plug a Twitter account uh, Dr Jennifer Cassidy um, I've been following a lot of her um, tweets uh, and information that she's been putting out around the Israel-Palestine situation. Um, so you know, whether you're on Twitter, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on, um, well, maybe reading is your thing. There's a whole load of different ways in which we can educate ourselves around what's really going on. And then that is creates a stimulus and the springboard into maybe taking action um, and it might be that you feel moved to contribute to one of the organizations that's um, kind of delivering relief in those areas or you know in uh, if we take the Palestine example again there's um, the boycott movement um, and some people might find that that's a way that they want to to get involved is to boycott some um, companies who are funding um, the, the kind of war machine behind some of these conflicts. So there's a range of ways then after we educate ourselves, but I think that's the first place. Um, and then using our voice, using our platforms on social media and using our voice um, in relation to our governments as well and to our political representatives 
And because of all these conflict zones around the world, international governments have a hand in them some way or another. And that's part of the, as you start to find out more about the conflict situations, you realise, oh, we're not uh, neutral in this. We have a, uh, we maybe actually have an active involvement, as was the case in Israel-Palestine. Yeah, and with education, you know, we saw that like this conflict in in Palestine has been going on for so so long and now with social media um when people you know with privilege in countries like Ireland started sharing it it's suddenly everywhere whereas you know standing up and having a voice in Palestine itself is less likely to be heard and is dangerous you know so we have that privilege to share that voice um and educate ourselves um so I suppose um I think that was a, an amazing um kind of description of different international conflicts but yourself like you work with um YMCA in Northern Ireland and I was wondering what is your experience with peace and tension in Northern Ireland yeah um I guess what we see in Northern Ireland is the legacies of conflict, the legacies of the troubles um, manifesting themselves in a whole range of ways. Um, Some of the areas most affected by the troubles are now the areas that have the highest levels of poverty, have the highest levels of suicide, have the highest levels of uh, academic underachievement. Um, have the highest levels of uh, mental health and drug dependency. So that starts to get into, again, that positive peace and these structural issues. That, can we say we're at peace or can we say we have peace when we have all these other uh, humanitarian issues and dehumanising um, con- concerns that need to be and legacies that need to be dealt with? Uh, so I guess one of the things that... Uh, youth work in Northern Ireland is kind of committed to doing is to tackling those structural injustices and working towards social justice and working towards naming and recognising those issues that exist and looking at some of the links between the past and the present and working alongside young people and to discover what peace is for them. There's a cool initiative and a number of academics academics have kind of pursued, which is around everyday peace building. And they go to a conflict or a post-conflict setting and they gather people together and they ask, what would peace look like for you? And people name really practical things like, well, maybe there'd be less graffiti on the walls or, um, you know, I would feel safe to go out at night. Uh, I'd feel safe to walk around this area. There'd be more street lighting, you know, really practical things. Uh, and I think that's a real opportunity um, to engage with young people around just going, well, what is peace for you growing up in a post-agreement situation in Northern Ireland? Um, and of course, then we've got uh, the possibility and the actual evidence of tensions re-emerging over questions of Brexit and uh, Irish reunification um, border pool uh, and those things in years to come are are potentially flashpoints and some 
research has been done that has described Northern Ireland rather than as post-conflict, as pre-conflict, as conflict. We have the conditions in which conflict could um, rise up again. And so then a lot of the work is about building relationships, building understanding, building empathy and dialogue um, across communities where people have very different aspirations politically uh, in terms of what they identify as um, British or Irish, Northern Irish or something else entirely. I think that's so interesting because we've talked before about how you can change the law, but people's minds don't automatically change. And then there's still long term effects from any tension. Um, and like, you know, tension can still remain, even if it's not embedded in, you know, agreements and things like that. And, you know, that education, whether it be in like, it needs to be in Northern Ireland and in Ireland, but that like history education is honest and unbiased. And, you know, cause we do learn about the troubles um, that, you know, it does show both sides um, and the effects of like what's still happening now and having a conversation about that um, and same in religion classes because we've talked about here about how so often we just learn about Catholicism and that's problematic in so many different ways but in terms of Northern Ireland and the history there it's it's really it just doesn't work like it doesn't work for anyone um, so this has been such an amazing conversation um, but kind of as a finishing thing if like in your studies of peace if you could share one thing with everyone that you've learned like one nugget that you've learned what would it be um i think uh it's there's no consensus on how we build peace and actually that's a good thing because we need the different perspectives we need to listen to one another we need to see the strengths in the different approaches that different people bring to the table um, and that is, is kind of the, the guiding message of uh, my research is the inconclusiveness of peace building and the indeterminate nature of it. Uh, I've seen that actually as a strength um, premised on this notion of a critical dialogue where we come together and we discuss, well, what is peace building for you and what can I learn from you and what can I, uh, what can I bring to the table? Thank you. That is a very good way to, to end the conversation so thank you so much for coming on to our podcast we've loved every minute thank you me you're a brilliant interviewer and it <laughs> was uh, great being part of it thank you bye bye hi everyone so we're back to the sustainable sleepover club um so what was your like takeaway from what andy said I thought it was really interesting hearing about the different types of peace because I think like in my mind it was kind of like as long as bullets aren't flying that's a good thing and I mean it definitely is a good thing but it's not the be all and end all of peacekeeping which I found really really interesting to hear about especially like learning about how how do I put this now learning about you know how not far removed we are from peace and how kind of delicate peace is in a way I just thought that was super, super fascinating, even tying, you know, current conflicts in with ones that are at home and hearing about how, you know, are the troubles in Northern Ireland even finished? Like, or is that, or is that piece still fragile? And we're still seeing the legacy of that in ways that I, you know, never realised before. And I think that's something we take for granted, especially down in Cork. We are very far removed from, you know, the conflict in Northern Ireland 
And I think it was very eye-opening to hear that today. And I feel like, just to go off what Anna said, like uh, that, you know, the concepts that he said of negative peace and positive peace and that like negative peace is kind of superficial in a way that it's just like the whole concept of it is just removing violence and stopping violence. But but then like positive peace is kind of going beyond violence and like the poverty and the social issues and that kind of thing. I thought that was very interesting to learn about as well. Yeah, I felt like the conversation about like generational trauma and generational grief from that was so like important. Like he said that like in the north, like places that are affected by troubles are the ones affected by like say like high suicide rates. Like that's like that if that doesn't tell you something, then like I don't know what else will. Do you know what I mean? Like I mean, like we're history's children, you know what I mean? Like everything that happened in the past it still affects us today. Like even though we're so far removed and we're so far down in quirk, like we still have an immediate gut reaction to like stuff that's happening like in the north and in Palestine obviously with like sort of like colonizers taking land or plantations like plantations are in our history too do you know what I mean like there is that consistent like ever like generational passing of like feelings and trauma and emotion that goes from every like turbulent event or like violent event in history like there's always an after effect and like peace is more than just like as Anna said stopping of bullets it's like the continued effect of that I thought it was interesting something you kind of said earlier on about peace and I suppose it's kind of I guess how we define peace in different areas but you know he was saying how people were talking about like oh graffiti in their area or feeling safe walking home at night and then trying to find practical solutions to that to like having you know more street lamps and stuff and I find it interesting because like I hadn't even and I don't know why but like mentally I hadn't even associated those things with like peace do you know what I mean you know like in my head in early peace was always like oh yeah like if we're not all shooting each other oh peace great you know I suppose I haven't really thought about other smaller social issues and how they associate with peace so I thought that was really interesting yeah and I think you know if you look at like people still experiencing like racism now I highly doubt that they would say that they feel like they're experiencing peace or feel like they're at peace you know so it's like that idea of whether or not there is violence constantly in a country that it isn't necessarily means that like oh that's fine like that that's worked you're you're peaceful it's fine you know that kind of way um I think what Eve was saying about history and I said this at the time that's why I think like unbiased honest history education as well as all education is so important because history education like history does inform so much of now um and coming from like a like an objective point of view as much as possible but also like my history teacher is so good and she always like connects it to now and I think that that's really really important um so yeah definitely um and I think in terms of Palestine at the moment and in terms of the media that we're seeing and then in terms of um you know Andy being like you know actually studying peace what do you think about like how media portrays things like conflict it usually I think what from what I've seen is that maybe I just look at bad news networks but they often side with you know particular sides of the conflict a lot with like at the moment of Palestine I think if you look at Irish media it's it's far more biased towards Palestine which I I'm 
am in favor as well but like obviously I would rather be seeing an unbiased view but like the US is far more pro-Israel and I think that it it almost favors what their politics favors like Ireland resonates quite a bit with um the history of Palestine like you know the plantations over here but I've like the US as um the US also has history with um, Israel and Palestine and they're quite um, pro-Israel as seen with Biden's reaction towards it all. So I think a lot of the framing of how the media frames something, especially conflict, is a lot to do with how their country sees it, how their politics sees it and maybe what they think their viewers would like to see. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because that kind of comes back to the question of like, is everything inherently political? And even Andy kind of brought that up, like how much of your decisions and you know peacekeeping and like how you see the world how much of it is actually just how much of it is is it political so I think that's really interesting I think it's really interesting because like and I suppose obviously this isn't history it's something that's happening right now but I've always kind of said that like history is told from the point of view of the victor in the end of the day you know like you know even surrounding things like colonizations and stuff it's always oh we discovered this land it's never well it was there already and the people were there already you know so I think like surrounding the media and stuff like that I suppose in the end of the day you know it nearly kind of falls back on who's winning almost if that makes any sense do you get what I mean you know um like the media will like Carol said they'll support whatever is going to look favorable in their eyes or the eyes of the people that they're trying to sell to so Mm, I think that's also really relevant because even if this might be like more historically based but you still like acknowledging atrocities is a huge part of building peace you know you need to acknowledge your wrongdoings so you can grow and that's the thing you see you know in life but also especially in keeping peace and in wars and things like that. Like if you look at some countries that that have acknowledged their past mistakes and horrible actions they've done, for example, maybe Germany, they've come to terms with that. I think there's a much more positive state of peace there, although it still is fragile. But then you look at other places like Japan, for example, where they absolutely do not acknowledge any of their wrongdoings and it isn't taught in history classes at all. So they continue to kind of perpetrate these messages and it's just so negative everybody involved so I think that's not necessarily about media but about how the narrative is kind of like even media I think it's quite it depends where you're getting your news from I think as well like we've seen fake news everywhere and I think social media is both a blessing and a curse for that because you find out so much on social media like I think you know the Israel-Palestine dynamic at the moment is really really all over Instagram to look through your stories and stuff which I think is really great to see how our generation is trying to get more involved with this kind of thing but it's also kind of frightening when you think about how easy misinformation could spread in that way mm. so I think yeah media can definitely be good because if the me if this you know whole situation was in the media right now I could be so unaware of it so I'm grateful in that sense but I think we also just have to be so careful because media can also misrepresent things I think like the interesting thing about media nowadays is I suppose because there's so much of it that you can very much just seek out the side of the media that you want to see or the I suppose the market nearly becomes so saturated with news that people don't know what to read you know it's kind of it's different I suppose from the past where there was maybe you know one or two newspapers and everyone read the same newspaper and everyone believed what was in the newspaper you know whereas nowadays obviously there is you know and freedom of information is good but like Anna said it can really lead to the spread of misinformation you know now there's 
blogs and there's online websites and anyone can be a news source if they want to you know all you have to do is set up an Instagram account and start typing so it it does I suppose it leads people to be vulnerable that way um you know I think we kind of had something similar when we were talking about uh, advertising last week in terms of companies and how they greenwash their labels and stuff it leads I suppose to a danger that people can become misinformed or misjudge something because you're not really seeing the full picture. You're seeing what's portrayed and what's in front of your face. On social media, like a lot of like, if you're seeing the same message over and over again, because like generally social media is like targeted to your algorithm. So what you like and what you favor is going to, you're going to see more of. So if you're following say like a specific side in any sort of conflict and you're seeing like, say information from that side and only from that side you're not getting the whole story there you know what I mean and I I think social media is so incredible in the way that people can share information so easily but if you're only seeing one side of something then you cannot really say you have a full knowledge of the situation and I think what's interesting with the Palestine situation is there's been like a massive rise in anti-semitism um on social media in particular and in, in real life and like I mean that like you can't associate one group with a whole like you know community or religion like it's not it's not okay but because of social media it's so much easier to only see one narrative and to only follow that narrative and the algorithm supports you in in like in all your like in all your follows on your tweets if you're if you're if you're liking like say if you're a trump supporter and you're like all trump things and you keep saying trump things you're gonna get st- start getting like more trump things you're anti-vaxxing things you're gonna get like constant constant stream of um different information to say if you were someone who was following biden you were getting like all a democratic point of view you know what i mean you have to be like acknowledge that on social media you're never getting the full picture unless you're actively seeking it out mm-hmm. and mm. i just to, like even go off that I, I was just thinking to myself as you were talking and it reminded me of like a phrase that i don't know it just resonates me um resonates with me and it's like one death is a tragedy but hundreds of deaths is a statistic. And I feel that like, you know, when you get a notification on your phone from the BBC saying like or 10 kids were just killed in Palestine or another 10 people were killed in Palestine, you're like, oh, that's awful. But like, you know, you don't think of it. But then going on to Instagram, you see like the humanity to it. You see people that are suffering. You see like photos from the perspective of the people that are suffering, less of just a helicopter view of, you know, some rubble. But like, as Eve said, it's very easy to fall into like an echo chamber, only stumbling across information you wish to see and as the algorithm loves like it'll spoon feed you what you want to see not what needs to be seen and there's also like you know the human tendency to search for what you want to see like I might want to see the other point of view but it's what I'm looking for so I think that's like a big part of it is being able to see both sides and like you know the rise of anti-semitism like you can be against the 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 acts of Israel but like it was not every individual's wrongdoing just because of their religion it's it's you know targeted and it's like so difficult to observe when it spreads so fast across social media this is like in a really like small way but you can imagine how much it can be heightened um but like we were in an SPHE class and we were doing body image and the teacher told us all like let us go on our phones and they were like look go into Instagram scroll for five minutes you know I'll count it and then we'd put up our hands how many people felt bad about like their body or wanted something or were jealous of something you know in that space of time and there was people putting up like 10 posts I saw like five posts I saw two posts that made me feel that way or I saw no post that made me feel that way and I think like for me 
obviously there's things like clothes that like you're like oh I'd like that but other than that it was like no because I follow like body positivity accounts and climate change accounts and different things like that and food accounts so like that's what my algorithm is feeding me because it wants to keep me on that app and that's how it works whereas other people were following like influencers and stuff like that and their algorithm keeps feeding them that and that is keeping them on there um so like they had way more of their hands raised but also I think in terms of media like people don't always realize how powerful media is Mm. like it is it's especially now with social media like if you look at even like Brexit you know like if you the way social media works now is that you don't have like say the Remain campaign used much more like experts and you know people being informed and had arguments and had statistics and had proof that like you know the effects on the economy and long term and stuff like that and they had their research done more so than like the Leave campaign that were like starting debates that had people shouting that had like snippets of like you know take back control and like you know as in like taking that in like really short way so that you don't have a full fully informed conversation but you have your feelings pulled and then people kept being fed that and fed that and like that that's what won Brexit you know like like to be honest like media is so so powerful and I think that's really interesting now with the Palestine conflict I suppose I think like in terms of media in general nowadays there's a big sense of like sensationalism about things you know um like I'm not sure if sensationalism is even the correct word but I suppose you know and it's interesting that the example that Eve gave about um (laughs) Eve oh my god sorry Eve I just called you Eve and that Eve gave about the um like Trump supporters um because that was the kind of the idea that like popped into my head you know and I've seen like you know I'd have seen like videos and news videos of let's say like his rallies or like Trump supporters being interviewed and it was very much that kind of you know he could make a statement he could make any statement he could contradict himself from something that he'd said two weeks earlier and they'd just be like yeah he's telling the truth don't care what you say and people's minds could not be swayed and I just thought it was like it was something else like it was almost frightening to watch I suppose in the way that I guess once people are fed so much of a narrative they can sort of refuse to believe anything else no matter what they're being told and I think that's I suppose it's scary in a way you know um if people are no longer able to rationalize two sides of an argument mm-hmm. yeah I think, I think that's quite oh sorry <laughs> no just look really quick but I think that links in a lot with you know the whole you're only seeing one side of the argument um, kind of comes in with what was said about peace building and how peace building is always, you know, based off of empathy and understanding and creating open and honest dialogue. Um, you can't get open and honest dialogue when you're not seeking it or when you're even like you might mm-hmm. be misled and you might not believe there's another side or you might believe that you've seen the other side, you know. So I think we all have to kind of get out of our comfort zones to form and informed opinion in a way and that can be hard like sometimes you don't know where to start because there, there is just so much of it out there but I think even if you're just even thinking that question and seeing is there something I'm missing that's a good positive step in kind of opening you know your minds and kind of trying to create that empathy there um for peace building because I think 
you, you kind of overlook it and think peace building is a thing for our governments and for the diplomats to do. But you can help peace, you know, build peace in your own life. You can start with yourself, I think, because peace is something that changes on a cultural level, you know, and in the society. I think someone mentioned, you know, earlier how it might have been Amy, how, you know, just because a law changes doesn't mean people's attitudes do. And you can be, you know, a great positive step in creating peace, you know, in society, if you take these kind of steps to be open, on, honest and try to have empathy for other sides you might have to agree with them but if you can almost see them and recognize them I think that is a positive step in trying to build something better than what you currently have I think like in terms of social media like I always say like consume social media carefully that's a model I live by because it's so easy to get misled and I think a lot of people um like when we think of say like propaganda think of say like Nazi Germany or Mussolini or something like that in the past but propaganda is every single day propaganda is advertisements propaganda is political parties you know and if you're watch or looking at posts by like and maybe it's not an affiliated post but they could be affiliated with a certain company or a certain brand and you wouldn't even know like so many things on social media are propaganda promoting a specific perspective that they want to get across and I think if you're if you're not like actively like reflecting on every single post of information that you read or every single caption that you see or tweet that comes up and you're not thinking is this like a a bit biased or unbiased perspective like you're you're gonna like get it it's gonna go straight over your head um and then like like Anna said like and like Anthony said like at the end like he said is no good of peace is little like you know information at the end he said like um to build peace we need a real different perspectives and like to listen to each other and like that is so essential if you're closed off to listen to the other party and you're not willing to accept their like view or their side or not even like open yourself up to listen to them like you're never going to have real peace there's always going to be conflict there's always going to be tension if you can't even listen to each other and have basic like communication and communication is so important and can be so easily um like manipulated by say propaganda or social media but if you if you're if you're aware um of the other side's perspective and the other side's narrative then you can at least try and build that um peace and obviously empathy like Anna said is so important like empathy and compassion like the, the fundamentals of peace in my opinion is empathy like mm-hmm. empathy is everything mm-hmm. in, in creating peace I, I think just, go ahead Carol um it I'm like really enjoying this conversation specifically because um part of the politics course that we do is the mass media and all the problems with it and it reminds me of Noam Chomsky's five filters the mass media there's advertising and all this kind of thing like that makes it a problem and a big part of it would be to do with sorry about the background noise um is making yourself part of it the story and this would this is just my perspective but looking at the peace process between Palestine and um, Israel was Biden was making himself part of that peace process which I and like as in especially with the UN as you might have known there was three attempts um for the UN going into uh stop the or kind of interfere in the conflict and trying to stop us but Biden refused it three times and in the end he was the one that claimed that he was responsible for the peace process so it's very easy to play the media game to you know involve yourself in the media and make yourself important to producing these stories that aren't exactly true and they're not as important as they may appear to be like when it comes to politicians saying that we created peace and we're the reason that there's no more fighting it's a lot more down to a local level like as you said you can't create a law and expect everyone to agree with it and you can't create a law and expect everything to kind of be solved you know and it's one thing to say that the ceasefire is stopped but there's going to be a hatred between the two groups regardless of what happens and it needs to be like kind of a widespread like um 
understanding and agreement in order for peace to be created. You can't expect it to be created just by, you know, people in power saying it's done. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my earlier point was kind of about, again, it was mass media and it was what Eve was saying about social media. Um, And just something I thought was kind of interesting that she was saying about, like, I suppose, propaganda. And I mean, this isn't even necessarily propaganda, but I suppose the interesting thing about social media is... I suppose you never really know why someone's trying to get you to view their post in a way, you know, um, like, is it trying to get more likes? Is it trying to get more traffic onto their page, you know? And an interesting example I thought was, because I remember, I think it was last summer and like, this isn't even necessarily a malicious thing, but I remember there's this post going around on everyone's story and it was about, God, it was about this supposed, I think it was post uh, date rape drug. And it was kind of telling girls to watch out. And like, this was the signs and this was the symptoms and this is what happened. And I remember going off and Googling it. The drug did not exist. None of these symptoms would actually happen to you if you were drugged. They were all fake. Um, And the post had just essentially been made up. And it was nearly kind of a scare tactic because it was like, you'll be paralyzed in 10 seconds and this kind of a crack. But it got me thinking kind of that in a way, I think the danger with modern media is that you nearly can't believe anything unless you go off and research it in depth, you know, because people love making sort of one statement, broad, you know, kind of heavy statement posts and then leave you at that and then not saying anything else or, you know, typing up something that sounds factually true, but isn't. And I think it's kind of, it's dangerous that way because I suppose people, I guess, don't really have the, time or they don't think to research what they're reading and then they sort of just believe it and that's a danger I think in terms of mass media yeah I think that's really interesting because there's this side to you know mass media whereby a lot of the time it is just blatantly um you know false but there's also this thing of like just slowly gonna be like feeding into you know what you're thinking even if it's true and like what Carl was saying like how you can hear as many statistics as you like but unless you hear the stories you may not connect to that and then like do you use those stories or not and yeah I just think like it's really interesting how this conversation went into mass media and peace um especially in terms of people in Ireland I think it's really good for us um and other people our age in Ireland to kind of hear the the power that we have and like the opinions that we can have about something in other countries and um Andy said you know always to educate yourself um and that comes not just from social media it can be used to raise attention but educating yourself from like proper sources um and using that to put pressure on governments and stuff like that in Ireland and the UN so we're going to be finishing up now um but I just want to like say that you know um in Ireland, most people are kind of on their summer holidays unless they're doing leaving search or something. Um, so I hope everyone has a good summer holidays and we'll still be here. Um, so Gabby, do you want to do the Irish goodbye? For <laughs> you know I do, Amy. <laughs> um, okay, Cactina, a hen, a doe. Wait, Carol saying something. Carol's looking yeah, at me. What's wrong, Carol? Oh my god, I was muted. <laughs> Um, I was trying to say I have a really good shanockle for my Irish class. Ooh. Oh, lovely. Tagaw in Shinter Gokshkale. 
There's two Ooh, sides to every Carol. story. Oh. oh my god, scholar. Anyways, sorry, Gabby. Didn't mean H1 to. H1 for you, Carol. After that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, guys. A hin, a do, a three. Slam. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Also, you can read the entire transcript of every episode in the link to our Google Drive, which you can find on our Instagram. Once again, online youth information chat is live from 4pm to 8pm, Monday to Friday at ymca-ireland.net slash question or find YMCA at YI Young Voices. You can find our Instagram account at Sustainable Steepover Club because we'd love to engage with you, our listeners. Every second Thursday, we will release a new episode. But for now, slán! So